Hello, my friends. This is Jay Bear. Thanks so much for listening to Social Pros. A reminder, this week's show is brought to you by our good friends at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. You know, social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, and some B2B marketers have a tricky time measuring results. A new complete guide from our friends at Salesforce will help. It's called The Complete Guide to Social Media for B2B Marketers. It reveals the best types of content for each segment of your funnel, how to use those pieces of content on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Pinterest, on Snapchat, how to discover the role of metrics, social listening, and engagement strategies, and how to elevate your message and your results. Go to bit.ly slash social B2B guide. That's bit.ly slash social, the letter B, the number two, the letter B guide. That's all lowercase. Do it right now. Download it and see. You'll love it. It's the complete guide to social media for B2B from Salesforce. This week, the Social Pros podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Hyper, a location-based marketing platform. Their CEO and co-founder was actually on the show a few months ago. Check out the transcript if you haven't already. If you're in the hospitality industry, you know that 70% of your guests book through online travel sites, which means that you're missing out on valuable information about the very guests you're trying to serve. So what Hyper does is they build geofences around hotels, restaurants, other places of congregation to unlock a treasure trove of geosocial data about guests while they're on property. Hospitality businesses use this data to discover unknown consumers, elevate the guest experiences with surprise and delight, inspire food and beverage consumption with just-in-time recommendations. And they can identify influencers who are maybe trying to lay low on the property and then transform them into brand ambassadors in real time. Hyper partners with the world's leading brands in hospitality, including Marriott International, Hard Rock International, Norwegian Cruise Lines, the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, and a bunch more. It's Hyper, H-Y-P, the number three R, H-Y-P, the number three R. Go to hyper.com slash social pros to learn more. Hyper makes location the heart of your marketing. And this week, the show is brought to you by our friend at Brandwatch. All of you know, all of you who listen to the show know that thousands and thousands of images are shared online every second. There's never been more social data available. As the world's leading enterprise social listening platform, Brandwatch helps thousands of brands and agencies make sense of all that data. With Brandwatch, you can get analyst-level insights at the click of a button, find the right influencers, and optimize your campaigns in real time, prove your marketing ROI with data-centered competitor benchmarking, get immediate crisis alerts, hope you never need that, it couldn't be more important, uh, and ads that are proven to convert. Make the most of your marketing. Visit brandwatch.com slash social pros. That's brandwatch.com slash social pros to see how Brandwatch will help you keep a pulse on your customers, your campaigns, and your competitors. And now, here's this week's Social Pros Podcast. This is Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince & Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince & Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. 
Hey, everybody, it is Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert. Welcome to Social Pros, hopefully your favorite podcast, if not before, hopefully after this. I am joined, as always, by my special Texas friend. He is the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is from the great city of Austin, Texas, Mr. Adam Brown. Adam, what is going on? You know, we great show uh, today, and I got to we had to speak to one of our our colleagues just down the street from me here in Austin, Texas, in in Houston, and I just thought uh, some of the insights that Eric shared around what he's doing with the Houston Texans nothing short of phenomenal. You, you think you know what he does and what his role is is so different, kind of what our average social media professional does. But he's still dealing with an abundance of content, trying to craft stories, dealing with different disciplines and departments, and again, dealing with this whole space of social and digital and and video all kind of coming together. Well, and you think about it, for for many listeners, he has the dream job, right? Running running digital for an NFL team. But I'll tell you what, it it ain't all wine and roses. I mean, it's a lot of work, as you'll hear in this episode. I mean, Eric and and his uh, squad have to put in some serious, serious time. And the NFL is a a 12-month-a-year gig, right? It's not just, you know, games in the fall. It It is a hard, hard social media position, but they're doing a great job. They've won a ton of awards. Uh, and, and he really brought a ton of knowledge and insights on this episode. Well, that was one of the most interesting things, at least for me, Jay, was you think of the, the, the NFL season and you don't think of it as a 12-month season, but he's having to create and curate and content and get interest and get engagement 365 days a year. Yeah, it's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Eric San, Insen- San Inocencio. It's, it's a long one. Eric San Inocencio, Senior Director of Digital, Houston Texans. On this week's Social Pros. Eric San Inocencio, Director of Digital for the Houston Texans. Welcome to Social Pros. Thanks for being here. No, I appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be on. So tell us a little bit about working in the NFL in digital. It's got to be equal parts massively exhilarating and occasionally frustrating. Uh, Yeah, I think the spectrum covers just about that. It's uh, the NFL has done a really good job of making their league a year long um, you know, content hub. So even if, you know, this funny thing about us is we don't play a game for nine months, yet you're still covering, you know, the combine, the draft, you have all these off-season tentpole events, free agency. So I think for us, the challenge is to continue to tell our story and continue to talk about the team while maybe not having a game on the field, you know, to always report on. So I think the NFL, like I said, it's a year-long kind of battle to create content and creativity and then also you know, to connect with the fans throughout the year, maybe when you don't have a product on the field that they can easily relate to. Yeah, and even when you are playing, right? You've got you've got twenty games a year, uh, right. including preseason. We've had Brian Sabian uh, on from uh, the San Francisco Giants on the podcast. We've had uh, James on from the Tampa Bay Lightning in the past on the NHL side. Um, we've had other folks from the NBA on in the past. And, you know, they've got somewhere between eighty-two and one hundred and sixty-two games to cover. I mean, that's a that's a lot of content just playing your schedule, right? And and you you just don't have uh, that many bites of the apple but as you said there's so much other interest uh, in the NFL kind of surrounding each game and then of course the offseason one thing I wanted to ask you about is is access mm-hmm. so so how do you tell those stories do you sort of have a free free reign of the place and uh, and, and kind of shoot whatever you want to shoot and interview whoever you want to interview do you sort of take a journalistic approach to it or or do other people involved with the team kind of create the content and you and your folks are, are more in charge of amplifying it and making it social ready I think it's a little bit of all three you know I think in a perfect world we'd love to have access and set up hard knocks style cameras all over the building where we can get everything every day but I think what you're doing is you're working with your football operations department for those who don't work in sports that know, like we're in the business side. So that's ticketing, marketing, 
uh, sponsorship sales, and you have your football operations staff, which is what most people think of when they think of the Texans, the football players, the coaches, the scouts. So you work with that football offside to try to set up some opportunities because the players aren't around all year either. So there's certain times a year where they can't be in the building. Like for us, they return next week to start their what they call phase one offseason conditioning, and then you've got some practices, and then they're gone for June and July again until training camp. So I think you try to maximize the time that they're on campus. We shoot a lot of stuff during our media days in May and June that may not air until the season starts or when the season's well underway. So we try to uh, you know, work within the confines that we have and build content that can be somewhat evergreen and we can use year long or series that we can build out ahead of time and then try to capitalize in season when those games happen. So your editorial calendar, almost like a practice plan for coaches. I mean, you've got to be thinking way, way, way out. I mean, for a lot of our listeners, you know, they may be thinking a week, two weeks, maybe 30 days, maybe a quarter in some sort of larger B2B circumstances, social media editorial calendar. But in your circumstance, you're thinking, okay, we may need to roll this out in September, but we get access to the player in a way that they're going to have time to participate in May. And you've got to be really organized way in advance. No, it's funny because people uh, always poke fun at me. I have, you know, I'm a digital guy by nature, but I have an actual day planner calendar where I write all this stuff out because it's the easiest way for me to, to go about planning six months ahead. Like you said, in May, when we have media days, we've got to create content, you know, like you said, that may run a couple months down the line. So I think what we try to do well is brainstorm and be ahead and try to figure out here are the 10 content pieces that we want to create. Like you'd like to create 100, but you've got this space Here's the 10 or 15 we can do. How can we be completely prepared to shoot this now, even though it may not air until Christmas or until the new year? So I think you're always struggling with that. Brainstorm is a big part of what we do. And then also content planning, because you're going to have these times of year where you've got so much that you got to jam into a day or two or a week long schedule. And then there may be some times where there may be a week where you're piecing some things out. And you're making sure that you're staying relevant. So you're always kind of, uh, you know, balancing that line between the two of them. One thing, Eric, I'm curious of is being part of the NFL with with all the franchises and all those resources. As you're creating content, are you kind of responsible for creating all of your own content for the Houston Texans? Or do you have resources from the NFL, be it NFL Films, NFL Network, other resources that you can leverage and perhaps the other franchises, digital marketing teams can can do the same thing? I think I would say probably about 85 to 90 percent of the content we create on our own. We do have shared content with the league. So if something airs on an NFL network show that pertains to the Texans, they'll send us a link and we can share that content with our fans. Uh, And then also on game day, all the highlights we get from the NFL. So if uh, DeAndre Hopkins has an amazing touchdown catch that's sent to us and then we can share it on our social channels. But the majority of the stuff that we create week in, week out is done by our department. And that also includes television, radio we have in-house along with our digital content. So you're trying to piece together. You're basically your own news organization when it comes to that. But we do get some great assistance from the NFL when it comes to highlights, things that are league controlled and league owned. Mm-hmm. And I, I can only imagine, I mean, the, the volume of, of content that you have and have to create. I'm curious if there's any level of governance or oversight from from the NFL in terms of kind of what you can or can't say. Are they looking at your editorial calendars? Are they kind of asking for approval of anything? Or are they more laissez-faire and saying, listen, you know, you're here to, to create the best work product to market your franchise. Uh, go at it. Just, you know, be smart. I think for the most part, they're the latter and they're just giving us best practices and suggesting content that we should create that they think might resonate with our fans. The only area where they have um, governance and you guys have you know, probably have heard about this before. We have a social media policy in terms of what we can and cannot post during the game window. And as it pertains to league owned content, which would be highlights and stuff like that. So that's the only area where we're somewhat um, you know, told, here's what you can do. And here's some of the limitations that you have based on our policy. But for the rest 
of the time, our individual content that we're creating as a team, they're just advising. They're, you know, constantly sending us, you know, great data that we can use, that we can compare to all other, you know, teams in the league and where we rank, all that kind of stuff like that. So I think they're more of a partner in that sense, more than anything else. Eric, tell us a little bit about about your team and how it's structured. Um, I know you're doing a lot of this social work. Do you, do you have uh, other helpers that are that are managing some of the different accounts or uh, in certain windows during the game, post-game, off-season? How do you staff all this? Because it's a lot. I mean, to keep a huge, engaged community like the Texans, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of raving fans engaged in social takes a lot of time. How does that get done? No, that's a really good point. And I think you hire really good people to help you. And so on a digital front, people touching digital every single day, working on the social platforms, there's three of us. There's myself and two others. But our department as a whole, because as I mentioned earlier, we have television, radio, our video board. So if you come to our stadium, all the game production, they're within our department as well. So that number gets you up to about 13. And one thing that we really try to pride ourselves in the Texans, and I would guess most organizations, is being able to you know, work in different areas and wear different hats. So even though you might be part of the television team, you may be shooting a segment that airs on digital, because as you guys know, the content just overflows between all the different channels. But from a digital perspective, every single day, we've got that three-person team. And I always like to say our team, because, you know, we're all working together. And there may be times where, you know, I'm not available or they're not available, and you all got to jump in and be able to help. But during the season, you're right, it can get pretty crazy. And we try to really work hard to set up some process to where we have one person maybe running an Instagram account, one person running a Snapchat account, and then me kind of overseeing the strategy and where that all fits in as the content is created. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you if you've got people uh, allocated to particular social channels. So one individual is sort of doing Instagram, somebody else is doing Snapchat, somebody else is doing uh, Twitter, et cetera. And then and do you have sort of a daily meeting or, or a regular conversation say, okay, here's the story, here's the, the sort of overall piece of content. How do we deploy this on Instagram versus Snapchat? Or maybe this particular uh, content isn't appropriate for Instagram, but it is for Snapchat or vice versa. How do you sort of make those decisions in, a, in an environment that it, in certain, some cases is, is really fast paced? No, you're right. And so for us, we decided to go with the different voices just because we wanted the fans interaction with us on those platforms to be different. In the past, when there was less of us, we all had to kind of jump in and decide, hey, you know, we, you know, you're going to do Twitter today, you're going to do Instagram. But as we got a little bit more help, we thought having that single voice made the experience more unique. So as far as on a daily schedule goes, you're right. We're constantly meeting, talking about things because one story may come up. Deshaun Watson is going to start this week. You know, how do we display that? Because you're right. The messaging is completely different. The imagery you use, the type of text, you know, the level of professionalism. So Snapchat might be a little bit more fun. We might ask our fans to draw pictures of Deshaun Watson and send them in, you know, with their filter. So that's a constant daily discussion. And the beauty of it is, and you guys know this, when you work in social and digital every day, you start to build a little bit of a routine and you get better at it because you're constantly doing it. That's one thing I tell students, you know, doing social with your friends is fun. And if you think that's a career, that's great. But are you prepared to do it for 70, 80 hours a week? Because that's the kind of demand that, you know, these jobs ask from you. And then but the flip side of that is when you're always working on it, you know, you pick up faster, you get, you know, better practice at it. And then it starts to become, hey, here's the idea. And then we begin to execute. But that's always a daily conversation because things change, platforms change. So we're trying to keep it as unique as possible with every piece of content that we have. Eric, I love the fact that you're, you're sitting down and talking to students and prospective employees and kind of telling them about your amazing story and kind of what you're doing there uh, around the, the Houston Texans. I'm curious if something uh, that we're starting to see kind of more on kind of more pure business standpoint. Uh, right. This year, uh, Salesforce did a research report where we sat down with 3,500 CMOs. We began to ask them how they're approaching social kind of in the future. 
and their entire organizational chart. And I'm going somewhere with this question. And they began to say, you know, we're, we're, we're beginning to focus less on function, like having a social team, a digital team, a web team, and more on outcomes. You know, in your case, that would be, you know, new, uh, new fans, uh, new uh, season ticket holders, you know, new, you know, initial ticket right. holders. I'm curious if you're seeing that in your industry. You said you have a team of 14 people that are doing video, that are doing radio, that are doing podcasts, that are doing social. Are you seeing more kind of cross-sharing of responsibilities and content? Or to your point, are you saying, no, it's, it's better for us to have some experts who know social, who know Snapchat, who know Instagram, et cetera? I think there's two ways you got to look at it. I think the creation of the content is collaboration, right? Because you've got a writer that may, you know, interview somebody that we use in a television segment. So that part's collaborative. I think the execution becomes more one-on-one, as we talked about with whether it's going to Instagram or it's going to the website. And, you know, the beauty of my job and what makes it pretty cool is that everyone in the organization needs digital and social for something. So I'm constantly meeting outside of content, right? Because you mentioned we have ticketing, you know, we have sales, we have marketing events that we want to continue to promote on our social channels. So I think the collaborative effort starts at the top when you're planning, when you're looking at what you're trying to get done, what's your strategy, but then the actual implementation of it is singular. And I think that's what we found works best. That's just unique to us. It might be different in other cases, but you've got to have the collaboration at the beginning because you might need different skill sets from different people to actually make it happen. But then when the piece is done and you're, you know, there's a distribution part of it, that's singular because then it stays within the voice that you've already created on the platform that you're distributing it on, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And, and I want to touch on something that, that you mentioned earlier, Eric, about the amount of time necessary to really do this. I mean, you said 70, 80 hours a week, and, and I don't doubt that's, that's true. Many people who have been guests on this show are putting in those kind of hours running social media for some of the world's most interesting brands. You've got a young family at home. It puts a lot of pressure on you. Do you feel like we're at the point now where social media is a young person's game, where, where you know, you, you get to that point, you get to the life stage, you're like, hey, I just can't, I just can't put in that kind of time anymore. I don't want to, that, that people sort of, I guess to put it some way, I just sort of graduate out of social media because they just can't, they just can't hump it. Like, and so it becomes almost like a startup job um, that you might find in, in Silicon Valley. Do you think that's true? Do you think that's where we're at today? I think we're getting to that in some degree. I know for myself, I'm 37 years old. The key for me still being able to be that plugged in is the flexibility of it. So we're not nine to fivers, obviously. And my boss is fantastic. Mark Vandermeer about this. You know, I coach my son's little league baseball team. I coach my daughter's t-ball team and I'm able to do that. I leave the office early and then I may come finish my work after I put them to bed at night. So that's the beauty of social is that it doesn't happen in traditional kind of workspace. But you're right. Like it's constant. You're plugged in. I was watching a TV show with my wife yesterday and I was getting messages on my phone and I just kind of like threw my phone off to the side onto, you know, my couch over there. And it's like, yeah, it'd be nice sometimes to be unplugged. But I think that's the nature of what we do too. Like you take that part of it, the demand for, you know, the trade-off of being able to work on a Sunday at NRG Stadium when we're playing, you know, a big time primetime game and Deshaun Watson throws a you know, great touchdown pass and you're there to capture that and help tell that story. So it's like any job, right? There's a little bit of pros and cons. But definitely, I think the good and, and being part of sports, I've done it my whole life. I played baseball in college. I wouldn't, I don't know what else I would do. You know, like I get home and I watch SportsCenter. So I always tell kids, and you mentioned that part, Adam, about speaking to kids, the advice I always give them, and this is kind of what I've lived my whole life by, is find what you really love to do and then find a way for people to pay you to do it. And that's kind of been everything that I've built my yeah. career on. Yeah. It doesn't great. feel like work, right? Yeah. So like sports, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come home, watch SportsCenter, I'm going to watch a game, you know, whoever's playing. And then social, I enjoyed doing it when I was a sports information guy, you know, 11 years ago. 
and I made it part of my career. So it doesn't feel as much as if you're working, but you're right. There is demands on our time and we try to work hard to build in those processes that I mentioned earlier. So if somebody needs to step away, we want to try to give them as much freedom as possible when they're away. Like I had a day off yesterday. Um, you know, our team officially released Derek Brown, who's our right, I mean, I'm sorry, Derek uh, Newton, who's our right tackle. The show still went on, even though I was there because we built processes in place. This is how we release the story. This is how we're going to distribute it. So you hope to build that enough to where you can take some time away. But it's something I think that everybody that works in social struggles with is, you know, the need to always feel plugged in just in case something happens. And I don't know that we've effectively tackled that, but I think there's ways that you can try to build around it with that flexibility like I talked about. Well, and like you said, having some sort of process so that when something does happen, you, you're not starting from scratch. And, and you obviously had a, a, a tremendous uh, scenario along those lines with with your um, you know with all the hurricanes and the flooding and 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 you won a, a shorty award for the Texans Care program. Why don't you talk about that a little bit because it's really a remarkable story and and you and the team and the players did so much incredible work for the Houston region and I'd love you to talk, tell that story. Yeah, and I, and I take one half of a percent for any little credit. I mean, most of that belongs to JJ Watt. He did a fantastic you know job and it, you know funny story we're we couldn't get to our office in Houston for three or four days because even after Hurricane Harvey had hit and, you know, the rain had subsided, you couldn't, you know, transportation, you couldn't take roads, you know, things were underwater. So luckily for us, we never lost power here. And I'm in my upstairs guest bedroom. We're very fortunate. We have a two bedroom, I mean, a two floors, two story house. And, you know, we moved everything upstairs because we had some water damage below, but I, you know, we're still on the phone. We're able to put all this together. And our PR director, Amy Palsic did a fantastic job working with JJ. And his whole thing was, I just want to help because they were helpless, you know, for people that don't know, the team was in New Orleans when Hurricane Harvey hit and they couldn't come back. So they ended up getting diverted to Dallas for three or four days. And, you know, you're watching all this happen in your hometown. Your loved ones are still there. There's not anything that you, know, you feel helpless. So if you watch the initial video that JJ put together, you know, his goal was to raise $200,000. And there was some fear on his side that, it, you know, this would flop and it wouldn't happen. So, you know, he, he shoots the video, he's in his hotel room. And then once he started, you know, such a galvanizing effort and social media takes a lot of flack for the negativity um, that it creates or, you know, the things that people say to each other. But this was probably the best example I've ever had of people coming together and rallying around. You know, we hadn't played a game yet, but then you saw the Ellen show give JJ money. You know, Jimmy Fallon gave a million dollars. You see all these national figures just wanting to help and we're able to help spread the word and tell, you know, all the things that not only the Houston's doing because Houston strong was the big hashtag, but it's really Texas strong because there's so many areas down the coast that were hit. And we're just helping to tell those stories, helping to let people know how can, you know, how can you assist in the help efforts? They opened NRG Center, which is right across the street from our stadium, housed a ton of people that were displaced. So that was like one of the things I'm most proud of. And I, like I said, I had 0.5 of a percent. We were just amplifying and trying to work with JJ and his team as he started to do stuff. And I worked with the league a lot because a lot of teams wanted to contribute. You know, what can we do to help? Uh, the owner of the Tennessee Titans gave a million dollars. So it was great to see everybody come together. And that's kind of an NFL family that we always talk about. But that started with social. That started with a phone in somebody's hotel room and wanting to help. That's all it was. And before you know it, he raised $37 million. You know, and that's a staggering amount. It's not going to fix everything, obviously. But then he's continued to keep the story going. And he got all those accolades. And they were so well-deserved. I haven't been any prouder of the Houston Texas organization and him in particular for what he did. And to play a small role in that. And us be recognized was kind of like, you know, the cherry on top. Well, an unbelievable job to you and, and everybody. There are obviously circumstances that you would hope uh, would never uh, reoccur in any way, shape or form. But but thank you so much for rising, rising to the challenge. I've got lots of friends and, and clients in Houston and, and uh, you all did an unbelievable job. So so thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's it's funny now we're starting to see I guess we always have a little bit. But but lately there's been more coverage 
I think in the industry of, of brands, um, you know, sort of getting into it, having beef on Twitter, right? So, uh, you know, you got you got Wendy's, you know, always yelling at people and everything else. Uh, do you guys get into that? Or, you know, if you're if you're playing, you know, if you're playing the Colts, uh, do you guys get into it in, in social and, uh, and 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 talk smack either officially on the channels or, or DMs uh, behind the scenes or with your counterpart at different teams? Oh, there's a lot of smack talk in the DMs. Let me tell you about that. Um, but. As far as the team official accounts go, when we make when it makes sense, we jump in. Like we will monitor what they're saying about our team. If they make, you know, a little slight about the way our offense is playing, we may respond with a gif of Deshaun Watson doing his arrow celebration. We've done it with the Colts <laughs> before using Madden because Madden ranked uh, us higher than them in the preseason ranking. So we kind of went at them. We did it with the Carolina Panthers because uh, they were one of the Astros players talked about how he loved the Panthers, and they were like, "Oh, I guess we're Houston's team," and we jumped in, no way, and we started. It was funny because by the end, we all were like, you know, everybody was jumping in. And I think the fan bases like to see that. We don't do it all the time. I mean, I think the NBA takes it to an amazing level. And I think it's yeah. kind of warranted, right? They're playing 82 games. So you've so got to games. create interest. For us, we've got that weak timetable to kind of build up. And sometimes when it makes sense, we definitely jump in. It's, it's fun to see the players do it because sometimes that'll, you know, DeAndre Hopkins will make a comment. One of our most famous things that actually got some flack in the New York papers was when um, you know, he said that it was Revis Island for Darrell Revis after he had yeah. kind of, you know, had a really good game against him. And so when I saw him do that, the first thing I thought of was Mike Myers is Dr. Evil, you know, doing that. And and so we put the two gifs together and we did it and we called it Revis Island with a couple of laughing emojis. And, you know, it was funny to my president came in the next day and he's like, why is the New York Daily News saying that we made fun of the Jets? Because he's not really <laughs> into social media. So I was trying to explain to him. And, you know, you've got to kind of toe the line and set the expectation communication wise of, you know, what you feel comfortable doing or what, you know, the organization will feel comfortable letting you do. But when it makes sense, we definitely jump in because it's fun, but probably not as much as some of the other leagues and teams that maybe play more. Gotta love throwing up the air quotes. You gotta, you gotta take those best social media posts and, and put them on uh, put them on your LinkedIn page, right? You know, like, uh, yeah, I, I talk this kind of snack. I mean, obviously you guys are really competitive, right? I mean, you all work in sports. Uh, I mean, it's sort of part of your personality or you probably wouldn't work for that particular employer. And, and I know, you know, there's only 32 teams, right? And so uh, it, it's it's pretty tight group. Uh, I suspect that you're always comparing your work in social to to other teams' work in social, and everybody has kind of competitive dashboards and and that kind of thing. When you look at your success versus other teams' success, what what metrics do you pay attention to? Is it is it engagement rate? Is it uh, is it something else? Like if you say, "Hey, we're killing it," and compared to I don't know the Falcons or whatever. Right. Um, uh, no, no slight to the Falcons. I just threw out a team. No, they're uh, great. They're great. How, do you, how do you actually, what's the scoreboard that you use? Right. So there's two things that we really focus on. Number one is just pure volume. We call it volume index. How many people are we touching on a weekly basis or connecting with? Because we're still a younger franchise. So I think we're still in the mode of trying to expand our base because we're outstanding in Houston. But as you get further north, you know, you're getting into Dallas and Dallas is obviously the biggest brand in the NFL. So we're trying to continue to spread our wings. Hard knocks help. Boo. Boo. <laughs> I'm right there with you. So Dude, volume, index, volume index is a big one for us. And then secondarily, we look at over-indexing. And we think that's important because not everybody has the same access. You know, not everybody, you know, can share the same content. Like NBA has different rules from us. So on a post-to-post basis, what are we doing that's higher than our average or over-indexing? And then also, what are we doing that over-indexes um, you know, compared to other leagues and teams. And then you find that content and then you start to see and plan more. Why did this work? And then you start to do all the analysis of it. But for us, volume index is important because we're trying to reach as many people as we can. 
And then secondarily, what are we doing that's over-indexing and then finding out why and trying to replicate that going forward? So social listening is really important to, uh, to your team. Not only do you have to listen from a measurement standpoint, what the other brands and franchises are doing, what the other players are doing, but certainly the timeliness of your post, especially when these clever situations, Eric, like you're sharing, uh, you've really got to listen. I'm curious kind of how you have that all set up, not necessarily the technology, but the protocols to listen to all the players, to listen to all these channels and things, and then being able to use that information and being able to, to respond quickly. I know and also know that a lot of the players in NFL now has restrictions on when and players can and can't post in social Mm -hmm. media during game day. Do you have any role and responsibility in kind of doing any monitoring there or is that more truly in the front office? I think when you use the term monitoring for us, we're just monitoring what they post so we can be aware because a lot of times the players will share, you know, their training regiment or if they're vacationing where they are so we can repurpose that content maybe for people that don't follow him. So I think from a monitoring monitoring perspective, we're more looking on the content side. What you're mentioning specific about how, you know, what they can and can't do, that's more lies in the front office. I think from social listening, it can be really hard for us because if you follow our game day feeds on Twitter and stuff like that, a lot of the listening has to do with what's happening on the field. So I don't know, you know, we can't necessarily respond to every single person. It's funny when one of our quarterbacks throws an interception or something goes bad, the feed just lights up. And I think people, believe that you know coach o'brien or brian gain are reading that twitter feed and i hate to break it to them they're just sending it to me and it's not like i can do a ton about it so i you know we try to monitor all that stuff but if there is a question my whole goal when it comes to social listening and responding is can we add something of value to the conversation and if we can then we're going to 100 respond and we need to do better about this just in general because i think one of the problems a lot of brands face and you talked about it is kind of that one-way street we're sending information down and maybe not responding up if there's one thing we can learn from airlines and from you know people who do heavily heavily in customer support on social is that people expect that one-to-one connection now like if i have a problem with my airline i can immediately i know you guys talk about delta a lot you can immediately you know tweet them talk about this you know i, I need an issue with that and they, people expect a response so i think that's one thing we're trying to constantly monitor but the sheer volume of it during our busiest times can make it difficult so you're trying to find, and as you scroll through, you know, what can we contribute to the conversation? Because there's not much I can tell a person if they just disagree with how our team is playing or a call that our coach made. You just kind of got to let them vent at that point. But for us is where can we find that nugget? Somebody has a question about ticketing, you know, game day experience. We have all these different parts, app, social media, where you can talk to us that way. And that's kind of how we view social listening, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and to that point, are you, when you do find questions or queries that aren't respo- you know, kind of your responsibility or appropriate for you in the, in the digital media department, are you sharing those with the customer service folks, with the, uh, the ticket holder folks, with the people at the stadium? Uh, is there a protocol kind of for doing that? Yeah, on game day specifically, we have a part of our app where you can send a message, what we call to our text line. And so that message goes directly to the help desk so that they can then sort and send. So if it's a ticketing issue or, hey, my Wi-Fi is not working in section 122, you know, we can send a Wi-Fi coach over there to figure that part out. So I think on game day, that's taken care of outside of us. But from a social perspective, uh, the one thing about me is I'm pretty lucky that I know most of the processes in the building. So I'll try to react pretty quickly. One process we have in place uh, with the three digital folks, myself included, that we talked about earlier, is that we wanna go through and spend at least 30 minutes a day looking at every single comment for the post that we make. So just in case there is a question that we can't answer, and then we kind of filter it up, usually goes through me. And if I can't answer it directly, then I'll send it to the ticketing staff, marketing staff, whoever has um, the knowledge needed you know, to respond. So that's kind of our process there. But game day is almost a separate animal because you've got 70,000 people in your stadium and you know, the questions may be coming fast and furious. So we've set up an entire 
helpline that's specific to them that allows you know all of our staff to figure out, hey, where are these issues and how can we help them and make their experience with us that much better. I know one of the uh, the former guests we've had on the show, uh, Carlos Garcia, CEO of Hyper, and now a, a sponsor of our show, yeah, you know, awesome. has a technology that the Golden State Warriors and, and a couple right. of their sports teams use to kind of geofence the facility so they can see not just those posts that are mentioning the team or the facility or the the, uh, the concessions, but everything coming in and out. Are you using uh, for the Texans any type of technology kind of like that, geofencing uh, the facility? We use a lot of geofencing, but it's probably specific for content more so than customer support. So if we want to send, you know, whether it's a special deal, thanks for being here today. You know, we may geofence the stadium and send a push notification that way so that people can understand, hey, these are the events that are happening. You're in this section of the stadium, something like that. And we geofence a lot. Does that go through the app then? Yes, it goes through our app. So we geotarget through the app and then we push through so that people, and it gives us another you know, good reason for people to want to download the app, which is very important. Those are our you know, most passionate fans. And we actually do a lot on the road. So we have this traveling Texans group, which is a group of our wonderful fans that goes to every away game or there's a group of them that try to. And so we'll do stuff because they take a picture every Saturday at a landmark in the city they're visiting. Oh, that's great. You know, so they do that. And then we are able to geofence that area to, you know, tell them, thank you for coming you know, maybe give some kind of, you know, special giveaway for the city that they're in or remind them, we'll send marketing folks, hey, make sure you get your uh, your Houston Texans, you know, sweater or whatever we're giving out that day. So to me, that's the fun way of kind of doing that. We also do that with a radio show here locally that we shoot when we do our coaches show. So I think those are the ways that we're doing it. From a customer support, we haven't quite got there yet because we found in the stadium, it just makes a little bit more sense. We've got so much collateral built up on that text line and we've been doing it for years. And we're very fortunate We've uh, sold out every ticket in the history of the Houston Texans. So I don't have to sell a ton of tickets. And we got a waiting list of almost 25,000 people. Again, very, very fortunate. Our fans are fantastic. So I think that you've built up a customer base that comes to a lot of games. So you've got all that collateral built up to the text line. So for game day, we've just found that that's the best way. But you're right. To your point, a couple of years as we come, you know, plus our fan base is a little bit older, as we could become more technically proficient and people understand that there's ways that you can just easily do this on your phone. I could totally see that happening. What what an incredible story! Uh, I didn't know that you had sold every ticket uh, in the history of the franchise. That, that's a pretty impressive. Been sold out every single game. It's a streak. It's something that our president lives on, and he's very proud of. And then also too, like I said, we got the wait list of almost twenty five thousand people that are hoping, you know, to become season ticket holders, and that's valuable too because sure. those people want to engage with us. We're able to provide them other experiences. They come out to training camp. You know, we want to make sure that we express how appreciative we are that they you know, want to be in a part of our organization. So I think that's a big thing for us, the service and support side. And we don't take that lightly. You know, we haven't been to a Super Bowl. You know, we haven't had a ton of success in a lot of years. So to still have that mark for us, it, you know, we really pride ourselves on the experience of coming to NRG and how important that is and how great it can be for our fans. So I think that's a testament because it's really easy to sell tickets, as you guys know this. You know, the Golden State Warriors are fantastic. But in the past two years, they've had a historic team. So it's become a hot ticket. And a lot of that takes care of itself. So I think we really pride ourselves on the experience of coming to the game and being a part of the organization. And that kind of shows in that sellout streak. Eric, one last question before I hand it over to Jay to ask you the two big questions. Ooh, I'm ready for those. Are you excited for those I'm already? Ready. I've been practicing. Oh, we were excited to hear your answers. Um, I am curious. You mentioned um, earlier that Instagram is kind of the, the visual platform for you and that Twitter is the platform, at least during kind of game day. Right. I'm curious kind of how you're working and determining what platform works best for what. And are you seeing any shifts or adjustments, you know, the year as we hit the, uh, the middle of, of 2018? Yeah, I think the data tells you that, right? Like we're really big on, at least for me, measuring. I always tell 
the students I talk to, hey, you can have a great idea, but you've got to show me the execution and show me how it worked. So we're always trying to go back. So the data tells us that Twitter, I mean, you can see the spikes in engagement and over-indexing on game day because that's the second screen experience for most of our fans. And I think what you constantly see, this is really funny, and you guys, the I think it was a couple of shows ago, you had somebody uh, say a fantastic quote about social, and I've used it about 15 times already since I heard it air, that you're trying to build a, uh, fly the plane while building it at the same time. And that's so yeah. perfect because you're right. Right as you get comfortable with a strategy, you know, Facebook will change its feed, and then all that data you have from the past three years, you can throw it in the trash because it's not applicable anymore. So one thing I always tell folks is working in socials, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable because the moment you feel like you've got a grasp of something, it's going to change on you. So we're constantly measuring those metrics. I mean, on a daily basis, my email box has, you know, I get 15 emails every day. What's over-indexing on every platform? You know, what over-indexes the entire NFL? What is the NBA doing? What are our numbers compared to what they were previous Mondays? So these are always kind of stuff that you can pick up and then make adjustments on the fly. So I think that's how we're making our decisions is that we see that data over time and we understand because, you know, Instagram is fantastic. Like to use a baseball analogy, sorry, I'm a baseball player. Instagram is like a stand-up double every time. You know, like very rarely do you see something over index by 10 or 15 times on Instagram. It just doesn't work that way. But you're going to get, you know, your core audience almost every time you post, which is really valuable in the social space. Yeah. Whereas Twitter could be a strikeout or a grand slam, like something that over index 200, 300 times, or it could just go flat depending on what time it is. So I think you measure all that stuff and those tools help you come to a decision as to, you know, where your content works best, and especially the timing of it too. And it's interesting what you say with all the changes that, that going back and saying, all right, here's how successful we were on Monday a year ago or six months ago, it starts to actually be less, less valid, right? Because the rules were different, right? It's like, okay, well, the algorithm was structured differently then. Uh, and so, you know, we look at a lot of year over year stuff at convince to convert on, on social, even things like the podcast. It's like, well, a year ago is a long time, right? And it was different yeah. rules and a different competitive scenario. And so, yeah, well, we have that data, but I'm not sure it's, it's uh, massively illuminating at this point. No, you're right. And you're constantly wrestling with that, right? Because you remember executing the actual campaign and how successful it was. So there's still parts that you can take out of that and use, you know, to continue moving forward. But you've got to understand the distribution channel has changed and you've got to account for that in your planning. So again, yeah. like I tell people all the time, you've got to be comfortable feeling behind because you're never going to quite have everything wrapped around your arms. It's not, hey, here's my to-do list today. And by five o'clock, I'm going to have all this done. Something's always going to change. Something's always going to happen. So I think for people that are first starting, we talk to our partners about this all the time. They want to work with us in the social space. You know, it's okay to say two things. First off, it's okay to say, I want to be on social and that you don't know anything else. No problem. Take the step in because the second part is the only way you're going to learn is by doing it. You know, I think the, you know, the fear of trying to dive in and I'm not quite sure it's okay. We're all learning in this space. You know, I hate when people call themselves experts in this space because it's really hard, right? Like it's only been around 10, 11 years and it changes every three months. So, I mean, how can you be an expert of something that's constantly yeah. changing? Yeah. I think nobody you know, has all the answers. Yeah. Nobody has all the answers. Yeah. So we just try I to always say, yeah. Anybody who thinks they have all the answers definitely does not. They're trying to sell you something. That's how, that's how you can tell. Yeah. yeah they're trying to sell you something. That's how sure. you can tell. That's, that is for sure. Eric, thanks so much uh, for being here. An unbelievable job at the Houston Texans. When you uh, play the Colts uh, on the road this year, uh, we'll look at the schedule. I'll, I'll drive up stakes on me. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. I'm going to ask you the two questions that we ask everybody on the show. You know the questions. You're a listener to the show, and thank you for your support. And the many, many, many tens of thousands uh, out, out there of you who listen to Social Pros uh, each week, thank you as well. Uh, first question, what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro other than uh, get ready for a life of uh, extraordinarily long hours and, uh, and manifest. <laughs> I think, um, 
you've got to network. You've got to make yourself a person and not a piece of paper on a resume. Sports is a really small world. So the more people that you can meet, the more likely you're going to get an opportunity. When we have a job opening, we'll have 1,200 people apply. And so the likelihood, it used to be when I was younger, and I always thought this, oh, if I do great work, people will find me and it'll work out. But it's not always the case. You know, some people, they go off recommendations or they go off, you know, somebody they've met before. That personal connection is very important. So any way that you can make yourself a human being that they've met instead of, you know, a resume or a piece of paper that's been handed to them will only benefit. All right. That's good stalker advice. I appreciate that, Eric. That's uh, (laughs) what you should be doing. Just hang outside somebody's office until they hire you. I think it'll work. Get on a podcast. Uh, last question for Eric San Inocencio, who is the Senior Director of Digital for the Houston Texans in the NFL, upcoming NFL draft here in just a couple of weeks as we record this. Eric, if you could do a uh, Skype video call uh, with any living person, who, who would it be and why? I thought pretty hard about this, and it was, it was harder than I thought to get down to one, but I think I settled in on Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, yeah. The reason for that yeah, is... Good one. I love his books. I love his podcast. And no person has made me change the way I think professionally more than him. So I read the intro of his book, David and Goliath. And it talks about like what we perceive as power and who's actually the favorite. And the way he broke it down, you know, everybody says, oh, David beat Goliath. But really, David should have been the favorite considering all the, the factors in. And when I read that, just something clicked. And I think for me, I love the way he tells stories. And I love the way he always challenges your mind to think differently. Yeah, he's an outstanding, outstanding thinker, author. Uh, I've had the good fortune to do a couple of events with him in the past, too, and really a great speaker as well. Very calm, very measured, uh, but just kind of lays it out there, and you're like, wow, that was amazing. So good pick. I think that might be – it's hard for me to remember because we're 300 and whatever episodes now, but I think that might be the first Gladwell selection. We'll have to go back and check the check the magic database, but you, you may be the first one, Eric, and a good choice. Yeah, so at well, least since uh, I've been around, and yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I completely endorse that, uh, that choice. I was just going to ask you, and forgive me if you guys have said this before, just out of my curiosity, who, have you guys ever answered that question? Who would it be? We, we did answer it uh, when Adam and I were the guests, but I actually don't remember what we said. I think I said <laughs> Sir Richard sort of Branson. An indictment of a, so you said Branson? I said Branson, but I, I, could, okay. I could pick Gladwell right now, Eric. I think you may have shifted my, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my, my choice. I, I don't know what I, I don't know what It's I, such I, a great I, question. I asked yeah. like 10 people in our office as I was you know, talking about the podcast and you get all these random answers. It tells you so much about who they are, what they find important. You know, there was a lot of political yeah. people that were suggested to me or sports figures. It just tells you kind of like, Hey, where their heart is and what they find interesting. It's a great question to ask. Thanks for crowdsourcing it. I appreciate that. Uh, my, my buddy, uh, John Schroeder here in, uh, in Bloomington where I live uh, asks people a question similar. He always asks them, uh, you know, if you could have a house in three different places, what, where would they be and why? Uh, and that's an interesting question too. Like, you know, what, you know, why, why would you want to live in different parts of the world under what circumstances? And that's always a good conversation uh, starter also. All right. I hope you guys do well this year. Uh, I live in Indiana, but I, I am, I am at best a tepid Colts fan. I am still a Cardinals fan. I'm from Arizona. I lived there my whole life. I was a Cardinals season ticket holder for many, 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 many years. So uh, it is probably statistically unlikely, but I'm hoping Texans Cardinals uh, this Super Bowl. You, hey, never, you know. never know. Stranger things have happened. Deshaun gets healthy. Sam Bradford 
remains healthy, which seems really unlikely. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. You know, that's a great, you know, and I got to tell you, that's the cool thing about the NFL is that unlike the NBA, right? So like we just finished the NBA regular season as we're recording this. Right. And, and there's a couple surprises, the Pacers and a couple other teams. But generally speaking, the teams that you thought were going to be good were good. The usual and suspects. Yeah, bad tanked, right? And, and baseball uh, has a little more unpredictability. Uh, hockey a little too, but but the great thing about the NFL is that is that the teams uh, that succeed really turn over, and you don't other than the Patriots probably uh, you don't really know who who's going to be there at the end of the year, and that's kind of keeps people sucked in. It's the beauty of it. I mean, the Eagles won last year with a backup quarterback. Everybody thought when Carson Wentz got hurt, their season was over, and you know Nick Foles rides him to victory. Nick Foles, U of A baby, hey, they're down. That's U of right. A Wildcat, just like me. But Jay, if there's anything we can do to convert you over the Texans, you let me know, okay? <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I can be I can be bought. You have an influ- you have an influencer program, don't you? So just, you know, I do. Some, that's right. Send me send me some swag. We'll figure there it out. Maybe. There might be a Watson jersey in the mail coming for you. Soon. Oh, there it is. Very kind of. There you go. And ladies and gentlemen, that was this episode of Social Pros with Eric San Asensio from the Houston Texans. Unbelievable show. We got another great one coming up next. We got a bunch of great shows lined up, Adam. We do, we do. As we as, as we sort of careen through the spring, uh, we're, we're back on our game. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I just want to thank everybody for their support uh, of the of the show. I've been traveling a lot lately and meeting a lot of listeners. And man, it's just it's so great when when people come up and say they listen to the show every week. It, uh, it makes it all worthwhile. And you, you, what I think about too, now that we are in spring break, I'm thinking, Jay, how many people are listening to this podcast, drinking an adult beverage on a beach somewhere? It just it just it just it just warms my heart. Yes. Well, and, and a couple of weeks ago, spring break listening, right? Everybody's taking social pros with them to, uh, to, to wherever they're going. So that's uh, fantastic. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext and is produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.